The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Are you ready to create a life that's intentional and dynamic? Welcome to the Intentional Spirit with your host, Reverend Temple Hayes. And welcome everyone and happy new beginnings. Happy new year. Well, let's aim for happy everything. <laughs> What's wonderful is we have the opportunity to focus on something new, not just inundated with the same stories that we've heard over and over these last several months and not making COVID everything in our lives and talking about someone new that's always vibrant, that's always creating, that's definitely an intentional spirit. We have with us the one and only Rabbi Wayne Dosick today. And I'm so glad that you're here. And I just couldn't wait to hear about your new book, Radical Loving, and just to to hear you. You're like a, a song uh, to the soul's ears. And um, it, it's just a pleasure to have you. I've, I've looked at your work. I'm aware of how impactful you are on the planet. So welcome, Rabbi. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful to have you today. Well, thank you. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me. It's a great honor to be with you. So my, you, you have what? Uh, how many books now? <laughs> uh, this is my 10th my book. Hey, I can tell when I have somebody on the show that has a lot of books because they have independent websites for each book. <laughs> now that that means that yeah, you are you're creating a, a lot of books out of there. And everybody tuning in, uh, you can go to uh, Rabbi's uh, website specifically about the new book we're talking about today. Radicallovingbook.com. Radicallovingbook.com. I love the word radical. It, it's confrontive. It's spot on. It's like, let's get real. Um, but you say, tell us your story, how you um, got on the journey you're on. And, you know, I, I heard in one of your interviews, you were talking about a rabbi named Wayne. Tell us everything. <laughs> Thank you to my late mother, who would be very delighted to hear this story and let me talk over and over again. Um, I'm a rabbi. I'm finishing now my 49th year as a rabbi since ordination. So that, that that's a lifetime of both preparation and, and doing. Um, I uh, served traditional suburban pulpits for 20-some years. And then I realized that it wasn't working for them, that is, the people who were sitting in the pews, and it began not working for me, because God began emerging in in a much more spiritual way in my life. Uh, the first part of my rabbinate was a social justice rabbinate. Um, I'm a kid of the 60s, so I spent my early years on pro-civil rights work and anti-war work, um, and that's the kind of work that I did. Uh, in the rabbinate, uh, particularly in over the issues of hunger. 
Uh, but uh, God revealed him herself more and more in my life. And uh, 30 years ago, uh, I left the big suburban puppets and uh, created a little uh, prayer group to um, envision emerging Jewish spirituality and putting God at the center of everything that we do. And uh, that's, uh, this group has been called the Elijah Minion. It's a synagogue without walls. Uh, we meet in people's homes. And uh, we uh, combine uh, traditional prayer with meditation and, and um, ecstatic chant and deep, uh, deep Kabbalistic meditation. So uh, out of that comes the combination uh, that uh, manifests itself in this book, that is, how do we make a better world? And how do we make a, a better world knowing that there is one God, and there is one people, and there's one world. And so that's what this book, A Radical Loving, is about. Originally, it was a, a, an aspirational book to say that, that uh, we can do this. We can do this uh, when we go back to the notion of oneness, oneness consciousness, and striving for the common good, the greatest good, the highest good and begin to walk away from what has hurt us so much, which is the me, me, me generation, or conversely, not me. I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not responsible. Don't blame me. I'm just the poor victim, not the uh, perpetrator. So uh, when we do that, then all the, the brokenness that we've been feeling for the last 20, 30, 40, 50 years uh, moving from the idea of the melting pot of America, e pluribus unum, out of many we should become one, into the to the patchwork quilt of special interests that we have uh, that we see, and uh, and, and it's been uh, exacerbated by the racism and the sexism and the nationalism and the white supremacy and the Islamophobia and the anti-Semitism and the brutal violence. And so we have to, if we're going to succeed and not perish from this earth, literally, and uh, take care of the earth, which has been the great uh, gift that we've been given by God, uh, then we have to begin to uh, know again that it is one God, one world, one people, and act that way. Uh, so as I say, it was an aspirational book, and then... Uh, I know you don't want to talk about COVID much, as you said in the introduction. No, but no, 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 no. We, it's, it's our language. It's everything. And no, um, it, it's, it's the gray in that. Absolutely, it's the gray in that. So you just, you go wherever God's guiding you today. So thank you. So um, COVID took this notion of this aspirational book into reality. We got smacked by the not just the theoretical ideas, but by the practical ideas. Do we, for example, open businesses because the only way that I can make a living and feed my children is through my pizza parlor or my dry cleaning store? Or do I insist that we open the businesses so I can go dancing and drinking some nights and go to the beach and get a suntan? Uh, do we uh, open the schools because our children 
can't get uh, de- developmentally behind in either their studies or their socialization, or do we open the schools because I can't stand having the kids at home all day and because I don't want to become a <clears throat> online teacher when I don't understand the technology? Do we get vaccinations in order to protect ourselves and the people around us, or do we demand our individual freedoms and liberties um, and, uh, and have the, the uh, power to refuse? These are all real questions now. They're not theoretical questions. They're real questions, and how we answer them will go a long, long way in determining whether this society will uh, go for the common good, the greatest good, the highest good, or whether we will break apart in our own little special interests. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's that been a, a real thing, isn't it? Because it was almost like, um, you know, for many years we were hearing about division, 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 and now here we are again in, in that kind of uh, reality I, I love I love the the aiming the holding the vision of your book radical loving one God one world one people um, what a what a concept right and so people ask me for practical suggestions how do we do this how do we do it well one of the ways that radical loving differs from the hallmark notion of love is that we strive to make the life of another human being as precious to us as our own. And so, for example, let me tell you this great story. It's a great story. So when my kids were little, they're, they're, they're close to 50 now, but when, when they were little, um, we tried to put into uh, practice the teaching of an ancient sage. It's told about this ancient sage that when he went to the marketplace, he, if he needed a piece of meat, he would buy two. If he needed a bunch of vegetables, he would buy two, one for himself and one for the hungry in his, uh, in his little village. So when the kids were little, we said to them, okay, what we're going to do is every time we go to the store, we will buy one extra item of non-perishable food a box of cereal, a box of mac and cheese, a can of tuna, a jar of peanut butter. And we won't even bother taking it into the house. We'll leave it in grocery sacks in the trunk of the car. And when we've collected enough each time, we'll take it to the local food pantry. So uh, I'm in the store one day with my younger son, who was five at the time or so, and I took a box of Cheerios off the shelf. And I said to him, honey, how about this as our food gift today? And he grabbed the cereal out of my hand and said, no. (laughs) Okay, precocious little kid. So I said, why not? He put it back on the shelf. That was my mistake. I should have asked him in, in the beginning, you know, what kind of cereal should we give today instead of choosing myself. But he said, he took another box of cereal off the shelf, and he showed it to me, and I said, what's the difference? Cereal, cereal. He said, look, Dad, there are hungry kids out there, too, and we like sugar-frosted flakes better than we like Cheerios. Now, that's amazing. In that moment, that child taught me to see not a category of people, the hungry, the needy, the poor, but the face of a child whom we might help be feeding, 
who likes one kind of cereal better than another. Mm-hmm. That's making the life of another one as precious to us as our own. And so, you know, we've just uh, gone through the holiday period, Thanksgiving, Christmas, Hanukkah, and many times we make up, for example, uh, food baskets for the needy and the and the poor, or the needing, who better said, and the, the hungry in our neighborhoods. So we usually do put turkey and yams and, and stuffing and cranberries and so on. But how about if we put in uh, also into that basket a bottle of sparkling apple cider or happily decorated cake or a bag of multicolored jelly beans? Because just because somebody is needing at the moment doesn't mean he or she doesn't want to uh, celebrate the same way we celebrate. And so if we're getting a, a happily decorated cake or jelly beans, how about just adding that to the to the um, the pile as well? We also give away clothes. You know, we get uh, our clothes go out of fashion, or in my case, uh, they don't fit quite as well anymore. So we give away a pair of pants or a um, blouse or a skirt or a shirt. Um, but, you know, if a man needs a pair of pants, he most likely needs a pair of socks also. And no one ever thinks to give away socks. The most requested item in uh, homeless shelters is socks. So if you don't want to give away your dirty socks, I understand. So on the way to the to the homeless shelter, uh, stop at the local store and pick up a couple pair of socks and add it to your pile. It will be a tremendous gift. Or, you know, when we go to the hotels, we go on a vacation, go to a hotel, go on business, go to a hotel. And um, the hotel doesn't want us to steal the pillows or the towels. But those little bottles of shampoo and conditioner and little packages of soap and so on that they give us, they expect us to take those with them, with, our, with us. And so take them. And next time you go to a homeless shelter to donate uh, food or clothing, uh, take those 6, 10, 15 bottles of shampoo and conditioner. Um, we're using our fancy designer shampoos, but that, that shampoo from the hotel is a, one or two or three shampoos for a person who doesn't have any shampoo. So if we think about the life of another being as being as precious to us as our own, we can really say that humanity is one. There is one God who, who guides us because there is one world and one people in that world. You can go further. Um, you know, if, um, if God forbid, someone, someone dies. Well, I'll tell you the story that, goes with the, the, that made me aware of this. Back in 1996, I know it's a while ago, but still important to us, 1996, our house and everything in it burned down in a Southern California wildfire. We had nothing, mm-hmm. nothing left. And so one man came to me, one of the sweetest, kindest, uh, gentlest, and wealthiest men I knew. And he said, Rabbi, I feel so terrible for you. What's mine is yours. Ask me for anything, and it's yours. So what am I going to do? I'm going to ask him, you know, uh, buy me dinner, um, uh, get me a suit, build me a house. What, what, so I never asked for anything. No, he was generous. That's a big, broad thing, isn't it? Anything you want is yours. That's pretty, pretty that's a big playing field right there, isn't it? It, it, it was. <laughs> I mean, you know, build me a house, right? Um, but but um, I, I was too embarrassed to ask for anything. Mm-hmm. So he was nevertheless generous to us in, in his way. But that often happens. 
if somebody, God forbid, dies, uh, we often say to the mourner, anything you want, just call on me. I'm, I'm here for you. Uh, anything you need, you let me know. And you know what happens? No one ever says, here, here's what I need. So yeah. instead, I've come up with this idea, which is called F-A-N-A-M-I. Find a need and meet it. So mm. you can say, I understand your Uncle Charlie is coming in for the funeral. Uh, let me know his flight information. I'll go down to the airport to pick him up. You don't have to worry. Or um, is your good suit at the cleaners? Give me the, the, the tag, and I'll go down and pick it up for you. Or don't worry about the kids tonight. I'll take them out for pizza and a movie. That's finding a real need and meeting it in real-life terms. Making well, life it, what's another... beautiful is you're operating at, at listening at a deeper level beyond, beyond the surface. And like you're talking about losing everything and with the home or people who are dying, we are naturally anesthetized for coping purposes, right? And so we're relying upon people to tell us what they need when they're in another zone. <laughs> I right. love what you're saying. That's so powerful to give people when you know they're going through something, three or four different ideas to help them think, to help them know, to help them come. That's, that's huge right there. That that's a huge teachable moment this day. Cause you're right. When you make it broad or like I said, people are half numb. You know, I'm, I know in your work, I'm, I know in mine, when I'm working with people that have lost everything or lost someone special, they're not all home yet, you know, and um, that's brilliant. Thank you for that. Thank you. And, you know, we've all been through a tremendous trauma. And we're still going through that trauma with the surge and the variant and Omicron and Delta and so the brain, the brain itself physiologically goes through trauma and our emotional lives go through trauma. And we have to remember that. Um, and and, and the, certainly, certainly the, the first responders and the physicians and the nurses and uh, the teachers and the clergy are all who are supposed to be the caretakers in one way or another have all gone through the same trauma. And yet um, we're expected to hold the center as best we can. So um, uh, a number of I, – I, I heard about a, a um, um, Episcopal bishop who reported that um, in a normal year, uh, two to four of his priests either retire or resign. This year there are 15 in his one little diocese that are – retiring, quitting, because the trauma has been so great on all of us, and even the caretakers need caretaking. So uh, we need to treat each other with great gentleness, great gentleness. We're all angry and frustrated and isolated and, and um, unhappy. And, and um, you know, I, I said the other day, um, I'm in my mid-70s, and I was talking to a young young person, and it was a great insight that this uh, this young man had. He said to me, you know, I understand how terrible this is for me, and I'm not getting the college experience that I wanted. And he said, but 
I have many, many, many years to make this up. You don't have that many years left. Whatever you've lost for these two years, you won't be able to regain in time to do the things that you thought you would be doing uh, at your age. What a sweet thing for a kid to say, eh? Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. So uh, all of us need to treat each other with great gentleness and great kindness. We're all in the same place. And if we decide that we will we will only hope that our special interests are taken care of, then we will be in deeper trouble if we understand that what we do is for the common good and we all come together for each other, then we have a much sweeter, kinder, gentler world. Mm, I love that. I've been saying to people lately, I love you and all that matters to you. Um, And that's felt broad to me. I love all that matters to you. It may not matter to me, but when I care about you, then I love all that matters to you. And That's a wonderful thing to say. Reverend, mm -hmm. that's a wonderful thing to say. You know, mm-hmm. you know why? Uh, here's the, here's my take on what you just said. That's fantastic. I love it. So, you know, it says, love your neighbor as yourself, right? Leviticus, yes. Leviticus 19. So, so let, let's say that I know you, and you seem unhappy, depressed, uh, um, out of sorts. And I say to myself, love my neighbor as myself. Well, what shall I do for the good reverend? Well, if I were angry and depressed and frustrated and feeling lonely, I would like to go to a baseball game and have a hot dog and a beer. So I get us tickets to go to the baseball game. And I come and I come and I say, Reverend Temple, how about we go to the baseball game and the the um, get a hot dog and a, and a hot dog, a beer, and uh, it'll make you feel better. And you say, thank you very much for your kindness, but I don't like baseball. I'd much rather go to the symphony. So love your neighbor as yourself doesn't mean that you are the same. Right. Oneness does not mean sameness. Oneness means knowing the needs of another. It's an old, uh, old story that says, uh, I say to my friend, uh, or my friend says to me, uh, how are you? I say, I'm fine. How are you? And he's, he says, do you love me? And I said, of course I love you. And he said, how can you love me if you don't know how I am? Right? So so we, we, uh, we relate to each other in these terms of goodness and kindness and decency and each individual need. That's what the word namaste means. The God in me, one God, sees the God in you, acknowledges mm-hmm. the God in you, and I hope that the God in you acknowledges the God in me. So all of what all of this means is that we are created in the image of God, not the physical image, of course, but the spiritual image of God, the God of goodness and of righteousness and of, of deep love and of kindness and of decency and of dignity and of compassion. And so if I look into the mirror, I 
see the face of God, the spiritual face of God. And since every one of us is created in that image, when I look into your face, I see the face of God. And when I see the face of God, there's only one possible response, and that is love. Love, 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 seeing the face of God. I mean, what if you were invited today to see the Queen of England? You would dress up, you would get all excited. What if you're invited every moment to see God, in, to be in God's presence and see the face of God? And so if that's the case, then when we walk into the bank and the teller's line is uh, 10 people long and they don't have enough tellers and you're in a hurry and uh, the, the clerk is taking forever and ever, uh, instead of being angry and frustrated, we can see the face of God in that human being. We walk into the convenience store, and the teenage clerk can't make change for a dollar bill without uh, using the computer. And we say to ourselves, what kind of education does this kid have? But instead, we can see the face of God. And so I made up a little song, not the music, but, but I do have copyright permission to use, licensing permission to use the music, but I made up the words, which goes, Seeing the face of God, seeing the face of God, Seeing the face, the face of God, seeing the face of God, reflecting the light of God, reflecting the love of God, seeing the face of God in you, seeing the face of God. And so instead of pounding the steering wheel when the guy in front of us cuts us off, we can sing that song and mm -hmm. uh, let the words bubble up and know that we are all children of the one God. I love that. I love that. Everyone, we're talking today to um, the wonderful Rabbi Wayne Dosick, and you can go to his website, RadicalLovingBook.com. Um, he has 10 books out, but today we're putting the energy on the book, Radical Loving. And I'm Temple Hayes. You can join me anytime at TempleHayes.com that features our Institute for Learning and Awareness and Deepening, likened to that of a mystery school. And I appreciate you tuning in today and take the time to share this because uh, Rabbi is giving us a lot of wisdom today and certainly the right understanding and consciousness to start out and be bringing in a new year. We'll be right back following this short message. Thank you for being with us. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to The Intentional Spirit with Reverend Temple Hayes. Welcome back, everyone, and thank you so much for all the years that we've been together and the way you promote the show and you're always giving comments about how you learn as, you know, we have these incredible authors and healers and teachers and rabbis and ministers and people that are sharing their wisdom with us. And 
I know you benefit because I certainly do all the time. We're talking today with Rabbi Wayne Dosick, and he is highly noted as his ability to language, to share parables, stories, insights that really are the are the medicine that can take someone to a whole new, broader understanding. His new book, Radical Loving, you can find it. I urge you to do so at his website, Radical Loving Book, RadicalLovingBook.com. So there we go. And thank you for that. And welcome back, Rabbi. So glad you're here. And um, don't hold back. Keep giving us your your wisdom and your thoughts. So, well, really first of all, let me that. let me respond that the book is available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Bookshop, anywhere that books are sold online, also in bookstores. But it occurred to me during the break that rabbis spend our lives inviting our people to come to synagogue, to come to temple. So I'm inviting everybody to come to the Reverend Temple. This is fantastic. <laughs> there you go, huh? <laughs> Oh, how dear. How dear that is. Uh-huh. <laughs> I appreciate that. So I love um, the song that you sang before we went to break. Um we we have one in our in our teaching. Um you are the face of God. I hold you in my heart. You are a part of me. You are the face of God. You are the love of, and it keeps on and on and on. You get the point. Uh, singing is not my first career. <laughs> <laughs> Very cute. You're right. These little, these jingles, these songs, they they support us in shifting our perception or, you know, or, or who we are, what we are you know, blah, blah. And it, it, it's a practice. You know, I, you know, people ask me, when am I going to get to this place? I'm like, well, I don't even know what's going on in the afterlife, but in this life, it's a practice. We're learning and growing every day. You know, um, if people can't remember the, the words that I gave, first of all, the, there's a CD with 20 or 30 a chance that uh, you can get from the from the website radicallovingbook.com. But if people can't remember all the words, um, here's an alternative which just goes with greatest love, eternal love, with mm. greatest love, eternal love, with greatest love. Eternal love, greatest love, eternal love. And I'll tell you, it can be done. When we look at the world and we say, look at this, how how difficult, difficult, difficult this is going to be, the answer is perhaps in a little story. When I was uh, a kid, I grew up in a multi-ethnic multi-religious, multicultural neighborhood on Chicago's southeast side. Uh, my neighborhood had uh, Protestants and Catholics and Jews and uh, those we in those days called Negroes and in those days called Mexican. 
uh, God forbid we should uh, use that kind of language. No, but that that was the language. And we all grew up and we all played together on the playground. And then uh, when it came time for kindergarten, we went to the public schools and the Catholic kids went to the local parish, St. Mary Magdalene. Uh, three, four years later, when I was eight or nine or ten, somewhere in there, I got beaten up on a regular basis on the same playground that we were playing on by the Catholic kids who learned directly from their priests and nuns at St. Mary Magdalene uh, that I, Wayne Dosick, had personally killed their Lord. That was how Catholic-Jewish relations were in even in the in the 50s here. So fast forward 30 or 40, 30 years or so, and I am a rabbi on the faculty of San Diego's Catholic University, the University of San Diego, teaching in the Department of Religious and Theological Studies the only courses in Jewish studies at this Catholic university, and I am invited to preach from the pulpit of the Immaculata. Now, we have come a very, very far, long way in 50, 60 years. I remember the day well. I was in um, high school, and we had five, four minutes to walk between classes, often from the first floor to the fifth floor. And as we're walking, this uh, girl comes and says, Wayne, 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 I forgive you, I forgive you. Now, there were probably some girls in that high school who had a reason to forgive me, but she wasn't one of them. I said, Bonnie, what is it, what is it? She said, I, I forgive you for killing Christ. I said, what are you talking about? That was 2,000 years ago. He was a nice Jewish boy. I didn't kill him. I didn't know him. I wouldn't kill him, even if I'd known him. It was the Romans who killed him, not me. No, no, no. I just heard on the radio, we had those little transistor radios in those days, remember? that the Pope said we could forgive the Jews for killing Christ. Now that, of course, was uh, John the 23rd, and that was the the Vatican Vatican II. So from that, from being beaten up on the playground to being forgiven for something from 2,000 years ago, to being on the rabbi of a faculty in in a Catholic university, one of my closest, dearest friends uh, still in this world is a Jesuit priest, although we were diocesan, not Jesuit. I just spoke to him. He moved back to his original home province in Milwaukee. I just spoke to him on Christmas, the day before Christmas. And he's in his late 80s now. And we still, we still tell the old rabbi-priest jokes. You know, if uh, uh, I say to him, uh, uh, he says to me, when are you going to eat a ham sandwich? And I say, at your wedding reception. Those kind of jokes. Um, so we were recalling that we were walking on campus one day where we were known as the radical, um, what, what was it called? The, um, I forget, but it was, um, we, we, we were the uh, uh, old stodgy but radical because we both um, love our traditions, but we were, um, we were innovators and creators within those traditions. And this young man came up to us and said, Father, Rabbi, could I talk to you? Sure. He said, I came to this university. I had never met a Jew before. And to uh, tell you the truth, I had some prejudice against Jews um, because uh, that's what I heard in my small community where I was growing up. 
he said, but if you two can be such friends like this, you're really, for me, a living sermon. And I guess I ought to meet some Jewish kids and to get rid of whatever prejudices I hold. Do you know, if that were the only thing of praise that I heard in my career of 55 years or so, it would have been worth the whole career. Mm. So we can move away from old prejudices and old hates and old, uh, oh, I remember, we were the stodgy radicals, stodgy radicals. Um, If we can move away from all of this and move into uh, caring about each other and looking at the face of each other, the face that reflects the face of God. Um, Another story to add to this, when I was a kid, we had a gas station a few corners away run by a guy named Wally. Wally was a very nice guy. He, uh, in those days, I don't know if you remember, but in those days, you pull into a gas station, Wally runs out from his little office, even in the, the cold of Chicago snow, and he would fill the tank and open the hood and check the oil and check the water in the battery, and he would wash the, the windows, and um, when all that was done, he would hand my father the little bill, which in those days I think gas was 34 cents a gallon, and my father would pay, and he would say, thank you, Mr. Dasik, is there anything else we can do for you today? And he would uh, slip my sister and me a lollipop or something. And if there were ever anything wrong with the car and it wouldn't start in the morning, we'd call Wally, he'd come with the tow truck, and uh, fix the car. We trusted him. Today, I go to a gas station in my neighborhood where I must spend a year in gas. No one comes out to greet me. I don't even have to meet somebody when I I pay. I put my card in that little slot in the machine, and no one says, thank you for your business, thank you for your... It's, It's a completely impersonal contact. Well, what if, what if, we didn't talk to these machines so much, or if people gave decent customer service again and they knew my name, I'd be much more likely to do business in their gas station than somebody else's gas station. We need human contact. That's what's one of the things that's been so horrible with COVID. We didn't have human contact. It was bad enough for people who lived together. You know, the joke was that uh, at the end of COVID, there would be uh, two most busy professions, OBGYNs and divorce lawyers. Um, we we didn't have human contact. So if we lived even with a family, okay, a little bit. But if you lived alone, you were isolated. And unless somebody called every day, you might not hear a human voice for days. So we can move back into this notion of one God, one world, one people, oneness consciousness, when we relate to each other again instead of these machines that have seemingly taken over our lives. It is so true, isn't it? It's, it's, it's almost hide-and-seek game to hide your cell phone, which is your cell phone, which is your camera, which is your calendar, which is your photo, you know, blah, blah. <laughs> it, you know, it reminds me, uh, Rabbi, of um, I traveled a lot 
at one point in my career as a, a trainer, speaker, teacher, blah, blah. And I go to, I believe it was Columbus, Ohio. And I was talking to a bunch of business owners on the 30th floor of this building, right? And so I needed to park underground. So that took like 10 or 15 minutes uh, that I couldn't park anywhere near the place. And then there was this, all this concrete and this long walkway that then I go through. And then I get on the elevator and we drop off two and pick up four and we drop, drop off four and pick up six up to the 30th floor. <laughs> and I, I just sat there laughing about, and we think that this is easier. <laughs> right. Right. right? Exactly. We think this is more viable and more convenient and, you know, all those things. It's, um, and that's the thing with the, the, whatever it is that we call, we call it a, a mobile phone, but it, it isn't. It's, uh, it's all the things, you know, and um, yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting time to be alive. And like you, <laughs> what I'm finding more and more for myself is the one thing I know for sure that's increasing in my life is my sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> you have a great laugh. You have a great laugh. And, I just, and so, so if I may, I, I want to suggest one more thing to your listeners. And that is, even with all that we are going through, even with all that we are going through, there is only one way to respond to what we are going through. It can't be with hatred. It can't be with, with um, anger. It can't be with frustration. The only way is love. Love, love, love. And if anger or hatred come to you, respond with love, love, love. And the other thing is, a part of love, a great deal of love, is gratitude. And no matter what we're going through, we are at the same time very grateful. The morning prayer the Jews recite says, thank you God for giving me life again this morning. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I came up with this notion that um, I wrote for myself a list pretty lengthy list by this time, of everyone I am personally grateful to. I go back all the way to the beginnings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, and Rebecca, and Rachel, and Leah, the biblical Moses, um, and the people from whom I have learned whose writings have sustained. So my gratitude list goes back 20 centuries and more. And all whom I have learned from, from their teachings, their writings, over these, over these centuries. And then in the people <coughs> who's, <coughs> excuse me, the teachers of modernity, whom I have learned from their books, and my own teachers. I mean, I have pictures on my uh, bookshelf walls. Uh, one of them that I'm looking at right now is of my high school 
uh, sophomore English teacher who really was the first person besides my mother who taught me how to write. And I'm very grateful to her. And then my Rebbe in rabbinical school, my mentor, my my teacher in in rabbi school, and um, some of my other teachers, and um, then my closest family and my closest and dearest friends. I have friends going back um, 50 and 60 years to to grammar school and to high school, and um, then then my current teachers because I learned from from. Rebbe's and, 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 and spiritual guides and spiritual guidance all the time. And then um, dear friends uh, who are at the same time my students and my teachers and colleagues. And I made this list, and every morning I read this list to myself. And I say thank you to each one of these people, because without one of them, I wouldn't be who I am today. Because each one of those people had some effect on my life as uh, as I was uh, growing and becoming, and then, and and often I ask them to who who wants to help me today in the work that I'm doing today. Is there anybody who can 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 help me and who can guide me in this particular? Uh, issue or this particular problem or this particular um, activity, and they will often identify themselves and say, out of your list of hundred today, these two remember what they taught you, remember why they're on your list, then they will be your spiritual guides today. So we are in constant gratitude because who we are is a conglomeration of everybody on that list. And I want to recommend to <clears throat> to our listeners today that one of the ways that you can be um, grateful is to make this list, read it to yourself every day, and thank each one of those people for making you who you are and being your companion in this life. That's mm. really powerful. I love parables and, you know, to me, I, I find such, you know, good medicine from them. Um, when we're talking about your new book, is there a story or a couple of stories that you would like to share with us? I mean, you've been sharing them throughout the entirety of the show, but anything else nudging on your heart that you would like to share about Radical Loving? Well, you know, the the Talmud teaches that for some people, a single moment, one singular moment is the the teaching and the being of their lifetime. And for most of us, for many of us, that moment has come. And so it just means a new perspective to how we've been living. So a man got on a bus and he saw what we used to call a hippie wearing one shoe and he said to the hippie i see you have lost a shoe and the young girl said no man i found one (laughs) i love it oh that's good that's really good right so it's just a matter of perspective she Mm -hmm. loses her shoes she found the shoe um so we we can 
we can find a shoe. We can we can be uh, as as um, as brilliant in this world as we want to be. Because I want to tell you that each of us is a prophet. You know, prophets are not just uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Jeremiah, the guys we read about in the Bible. And prophets are not just um, Martin Luther King and Mother Teresa. But prophecy, the word, the word prophet in um, in the Bible is a messenger of God, and each one of us can be a messenger of God uh, because all the time, you know, people think that prayer is one-sided. We pray and uh, God listens, but the other half of prayer and meditation is um, is that. Um, that God prays, God talks, and we listen. And God comes to us in many different ways, in words, in vision, in daydreams, in night dreams. And sometimes the message is for ourselves alone. Sometimes it's for us and our families. Sometimes it is for the greater world that we're to give out this this vision, uh, this message of God. And so since prophecy is new for so many people and breathtakingly exciting, I wrote this little prayer uh, that that says, uh, Oh God, please attune my hearing so that you can speak to me. Sharpen my seeing so that you can show me. Hone my senses so that you can dream into me by day and by night. Let me be ever open and ever ready so that you can inspirit me. Let me be a channel so that you can flow through me. So that's our job. So, Hear the message of God, and the message of God always contains the mandate to perfect the world, to to make uh, make the world better uh, in in the name of God. And so, one God, one world, one people. That's our mission. That's our our mandate. And God says, "Go do it." So, a woman walked into a um, a flower shop, and uh, she said well I'd like these flowers and these flowers and these flowers and she looked up and she said the proprietor of the of the shop is God God you're not just going to sell me roses and carnations God said no my darling you may have whatever you want and she said well in that case I want world peace for me for my children for everyone around us. So give me an order of world peace. And God said, you know, darling, here in this store, we don't sell those kinds of things. We sell seeds. Here are seeds. Go plant them and make them work. Mm. So there's an old uh, teaching that says, if you're planting a tree and you hear that the Messiah has come, Finish planting the tree and then go greet the Messiah. <laughs> I love the. Uh, I mean, it, it made me uh, think of too the the saying that the the best time to plant a tree was twenty years ago, and right. the second best time is now. Right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. So we can do it. We can do it. We can change this world. And when we change. Our own, our own outlook, 
and the one the outlooks of the people it's like a like a, a ripple that goes through the entire world and you know when we were when when we were uh, back in 1987 that we had this thing called the harmonic convergence where we stood around the world holding hands and singing songs and trying to bring, bring peace and the world laughed at us singing songs it's going to do it but you know in the two years following the harmonic convergence the Soviet Union fell, the satellite countries fell, the Berlin, Berlin Wall came down, um, the uh, blacks and whites started riding the bus together in Johannesburg, Protestant Catholics stopped shooting each other in Northern Ireland, and once in a while Jews and Arabs sat down at a peace table in, uh, in Jerusalem. Not Jerusalem, but other places. And um, all of a sudden... Uh, the kinds of things that we hoped for, that we prayed for, that we sang for, that we chanted for, came to be. Mm-hmm. Now, will it will it happen again? I don't know. But you know what? I'm gonna I am going to continue singing. I'm going to continue singing. They came to a there were Indian Native American tribes that did rain dances, and one particular tribe, whenever it rained. The, they they were successful. They, they 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 brought the rain while other tribes didn't. And so somebody came to the chief and said, why is it that the other tribes dance and dance and dance and no rain comes, but when you dance, the rain comes? And the chief said, we keep dancing until it rains. Mm. I'm going to keep dancing. I'm going to keep singing until it rains, until there is a world of oneness, one God, one world. And I'm going to be right there with you, Rabbi Wayne Dossig. We are radical, positive people, and it's been a pleasure to sit with the space of who you are today. Thank you for being here. Let's have you again, and thank you for touching our hearts. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Rachel Corpus, an angel communicator, psychic medium, and host of the Angel Talk podcast. This show is meant to help you remember who you are, a limitless being with shoes and socks on. And along the way, we'll connect to people on the other side and experts in the field like authors, healers, animal communicators, and more. Listen to all my shows at Mind, Body, Spirit FM or wherever you get your podcasts.